Hello, welcome to Mediation Station. This is your host, Greg Fenton. Each week we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at greggf at primus.ca and 647-227-4734. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us and Facebook group page to become a member. Also visit YouTube channels for both CHHA 1610 AM and Greg Fenton. Listen to podcasts of each radio show by going to soundcloud.com or iTunes podcasts in the arts area. Please follow us at our Twitter account, which is at Fenton Mediation. Our topic tonight, which is called Animal People and Human People, the conflict that arises through their interaction with my visitor, Susanna Gartner. Hi, Susanna. You can hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Hello, Greg. Hi. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Appreciate you uh, providing for your contribution tonight. I know you're a bit under the weather. Feeling better, thankfully, so I'm glad to be on air with you. Yes. So how about we start off just a bit about uh, your professional background? What does that involve? Oh, sure. I'd love to share that. So um, I'm an animal rights lawyer and uh, mediator and um, started the first animal law practice in Canada and um, with that, I also um, used my mediation skills to um, help clients try to resolve their disputes out of court. So how long ago did you start? That would be uh, almost seven years now. Yeah. And why it's been did a you, while. Yeah. So why did you decide? Have you always been focused on animal law, animal rights law, or something else prior to seven years? Well, I've always been focused on animals and um, have had a passion for helping them um, in more in volunteer capacities. I started out in corporate law, so not not quite in uh, in that area, um, but realized um, pretty quickly that I I wanted to pursue um, an area of law that I was passionate about. So um, that's what led me in this direction. And so, animals. What is it about animals that is your passion? Well, I just love them so much and feel that they don't have a voice, um, in particular in the legal system. Um, so I wanted to dedicate my, you know, my time and knowledge and expertise in the laws to try to extend that uh, and to help them. What are the things and people that have influenced your decision to focus on animal law? I, I, you know, all of us have some backstory yeah. that provides why we have a passion of some form, lived experiences. What's yours? Well, it was uh, in particular um, a volunteer um, situation when I was um, not yet uh, in the practice itself. So I was um, completing a Master's of Law in Mediation and in, in Alternative Dispute Resolution um, at Osgoode Hall and um, decided to volunteer at the municipal shelter and... Um, had a dog that I absolutely just fell in love with and realized that he was on death row. Um, if he wasn't adopted, that he would he would be put down. And so it wasn't necessarily a person, it was more of a dog and um, his plight that led me to realize that there really isn't anyone there for them to speak specifically. Um, and then when you say what things and people influence my yeah. decision to focus on animal law, when I did start the practice, um, I, I realized pretty quickly that, again, there was no one defending um, guardians, so uh, owners of dogs in particular that were um, 
being held in uh, in the shelter system, um, for for example, for, for dog bite, um, and they had no representation. So I wanted to help and did save a few of them, and that really fueled my passion to continue and focus on this particular area. Did you have animals when you were growing up? I did, yeah. I had um, I had a small dog uh, named George, a Chihuahua, and um, he ended up um, being given away. Mm-hmm. Um, we lived in a condo that didn't allow pets, mm-hmm. um, and he also fueled my passion. So it seemed it just seems like it was just meant to be for for whatever reason for me to do this area. Um, and then later on, I had another dog, Charlie. Um, I had him for almost sixteen years. Um, and he was a puppy mill dog, and I ended up purchasing him from a pet store. Didn't know the whole puppy mill um, situation until I adopted him, and he had some health conditions, and just learned more about um, the problems in the system for animals again. Let alone the justice system, just in society overall. Yes, absolutely. And how we view animals. How we view animals, yeah. How we view animals... Our pets, for example, yeah. how we as as human guardians view yeah, right. our, our own pets and then how the system treats animals as property. It seems to be a, a real discrepancy, doesn't it? Yeah, you use the term guardian, so I just want to unpack that I a do. little yeah, bit. Yeah, I do. I like that term a lot more than ownership, um, right. but in the laws, it, it, it clearly is not guardian. Yeah, and yeah. that's part of our conversation today, just try to get uh, open that up to bring to light for the public to be better informed of the realities that entail when animals get connected to conflict and with human beings and how they're affected and, you know, your purpose. What do you see as your purpose? Well, my purpose is to give a voice to the animals and to try to create um, opportunities for um, negotiation, for resolution, and for more animals to be saved in a system that unfortunately views them as personal property, as chattels. Usually when you have a client, so who's your client? The guardian or the animal? Well, I've had both. Uh, Most of the time it's the guardian, so it's the human guardian that hires me for representation. Um, But I have, of course, had cases uh, that I've done uh, in which I'm trying to save an animal that I've heard has been in the system. Yeah. and needs some representation. So I'd say both, but most of the time it's the guardian. So um, I mostly deal with um, pet custody disputes. Um, I've I've dealt with breeder disputes, um, malpractice, negligence. So any situation that lends itself to um, a situation that would be a problem for the animal is where I can step in. And I would think normally where you have a, a human being You have a consultation with that human being and you find out what's going on to then figure out what's not going on to see how that person can get the outcomes realized because you're the expert in the legal profession that can help navigate them there. How do you, how do you determine what's for the animal? Because the animal, uh, you know, they do communicate with us, though, of course, (laughs) there's certain ways that may not generally be as concrete as a human being. So how do you get a sense of the concept of what's in the best interest of the animal? Well, I mean, I don't normally uh, get to meet the animal when I'm um, 
doing yeah. a consultation when I have a consultation with a client. Yeah. So I really have to use my um, my own expertise and, I mean, even my own intuition to, to determine whether or not I feel that this case would be um, in the best interest of the animal to, to take on right. the situation at hand. And, I mean, most of the time, the person that wants to hire an animal rights lawyer, mediator, um, understands the limitations of the system. So that's always very helpful. Um, However, I've found that I used to have um, litigation in my practice. I no longer do any type of litigation and I'm completely focused on mediation and that's what I love and that's what I loved coming on your show. I'm so excited to talk about mediation of disputes themselves and in particular for animals because as I said to you, as we all know, animals are viewed as property. So the system really doesn't allow for creative solutions or coming up with resolution of disputes, if I may. Yeah. So often animals will get put down. Um, A judge will make a decision. I mean, not... I'm not uh, trying to criticize the judge or the system itself, but it really doesn't lend itself to any type of um, creativity. And that's why I think mediation is so important for um, for certain areas, in particular for animals. In terms of navigating with the conflict that entails a human being, that is about the, we'll say, the animal, rather than human beings with relation to their children. Though, of course, we can go into a deep conversation about how animals are children of people who may not have children. Yes. Actually. Actually, yeah. So, you know, in terms of trying to navigate those, I I suppose, is there a way for you not to get caught up because you're so passionate about animals? Oh, that's a great question. (laughs) Oh, hmm. Is there a way for me not to get caught up? No. (laughs) I mean, as a human being. I always get caught up. I always always get involved and... um, I, I am attached to the case and the situation. I've had, unfortunately, um, cases that have kept me up at night, you know, where yeah. an animal gets locked away or, or a situation seems unfair. So um, I think that's part of it. It's 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 akin to family law, if I may, where, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're trying to look out for the best interest of the animal. And as you said so well, Greg, the, um, the animal um, is like a child to many of my clients. Yeah. In particular, clients that don't have their own children. Right. Yeah. And so, how do you not become involved in that, if I may? Yeah, and I I, I know as human beings, whether you're a mediator or a lawyer or anyone else, that we are affected by our lived experiences, whether personal or professional. Yes. We may not acknowledge it acknowledge it as much as we may be best to do so. Yes. And we are affecting in the circumstance, you know, in the process, you as a third party, as a mediator, you're there, you're trying to do your process and, you know, trying to help support the individuals to make their own decisions about the circumstance. And at the same time, you are influencing that process in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I've never thought of it that way. (laughs) Yeah. So you focus on animal. I know you've put it's on your website is animal law. Though yes. you, you've really focused on a more collaborative approach, and you mentioned yeah, about animal not, law, yeah, yeah, dispute resolution, yeah. Uh, negotiation, collaboration, um, consultation, really uh, an alternative way of resolving disputes than the the justice system provides. Right. So, so I really focus on my expertise in mediation. 
So when a relationship... And passion, and passion for me, you should actually. Pa- love, love the process. Love, love helping clients and feel that they're happier in the end. Because they have the ability to create their own outcomes. Absolutely. I mean, that's self-determination. Yes. So distinct from the court process where ownership is transitioned to a third party, the judge. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Now, I don't act as a neutral normally. I have in situations when clients have hired me to to mediate a dispute, um, typically because I am also a lawyer and I'm retained, um, I would utilize the, the mediation process to help the parties, but I am representing one side. Right, okay. Yeah. Do you ever go to court then? Because you mentioned Oh I have, yes. Litigation. Absolutely. Okay. Yes, 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 I have. So yeah, and I mean in this in the um small court small claims court in that right. uh yeah. situation uh there is a mandatory mediation um settlement conference. Um, so that is an opportunity for parties to try to resolve their disputes. There is a judge who is present, um, but nonetheless, it's an opportunity to try to resolve the dispute. So I have. Yeah, and that's a settlement. Those. And even in superior court, I've I've been there as well. Yeah, and at the settlement conference, uh, that's where the judge acts like a quasi mediator yes. to try to give a little reality checking for. Yes. You know, here's your case. Here's your point of view. Here's your point of view. If I was your judge at trial, this is what I would figure out. Yes. And people try to get a sense of, okay, maybe it's better to try to negotiate together here. Some people. So, yeah, I, yeah. Some people and other people just don't, are not conducive to the process, unfortunately. Yeah, they're just stuck in their positions yeah. because yeah. of whatever reason. For whatever. Uh, yeah, for yeah. whatever reason. And those those people you really can't help. I mean, it doesn't even pertain to animal, animal law, as you know, Greg. It's it's in any yeah any type of situation. I, I feel that the parties really have to be open. Yeah, that's the... We talk in the mediation world about the uh, whole thing to be curious as mediators and then ask questions. Yes. So what you talked about right now, about o- open, the concept of openness, that's for me what starts before curiosity. Yes. I think we have to have that. an open sense, open mind I like to that. be curious, yes. to then ask questions, to learn and be yes. informed, and then take some new step or further action. Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah. So when a relationship transitions from being a couple, let's just say, to now being separates, and there is an animal involved as part of the couple's relationship, how do people decide what area of law, either civil or family, to try to seek resolution as to the animal's future? Well, I mean, they usually will ask me. Yeah. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. And I will um, always um, advise that the civil route is is the better so let me ask you, unpack that. Why do you, from your perspective of experience, uh, suggest that the civil process, i.e., for example, small claims court, yep. relative to the family court process would be, which entails uh, superior court because yes. superior court deals with, quote, property. And we'll talk further about the definition of animals in different ways. Sure. So why, why would you suggest small claims court, for example? Well, in small claims court, um, I find that there's um, more uh, openness to to settle. Um, it's a simpler process. Superior court uh, itself is more complex. The um, the amounts that you can seek are are above the twenty five thousand, which now even in, in small claims court is is going up, I believe, to thirty five thousand. But nonetheless, it's a smaller amount of money that's involved. And for an animal's interest, I mean, family court, 
deals uh, mainly with uh, children, right? Children mm-hmm. and people uh, that are getting divorced. And I don't think that that system is really conducive to dealing with animals. I've had a couple of cases in Superior Court, and they really, I, I feel, didn't do as well as they could have. So is there a definition of what an animal is in civil court? Because they're in... Well, in, in both, they're, they're viewed as property. Both property. Yeah, okay. they're both property. It's just that the family court, as I said, it's just a more complex, more layers, just a, uh, more, I'd say, more difficult process, right? So, yeah. so I would recommend the uh, civil route, small claims. Yeah, and small claims, too, is structured or created as a concept that That's right. would be about the layperson, yes. the average individual, being able to somewhat navigate their circumstance in terms of filing a claim and you know, going through the process of trying to get realization of what the outcome is that they uh, want. Yes. Superior court is much more complicated in family. Complicated. You know, it's time consuming. The pleadings, yeah. yeah, the pleadings themselves, there's discoveries, there's just so many layers of complexity that people don't necessarily realize. Yeah, and you know, when people are caught up in their matters, their conflict, oh, yeah. for example, yep. does rational thinking and acting ever really play a part? Well, the the complicated part of fam of family law and animal law i'm i'm linking them together because yeah. i do i do see similarities is that there's an attachment so there's an attachment to a being mhm and when couples separate there's an emotional attachment a breakup so um so i find that that makes it more difficult for people to think rationally right because their emotions are involved yeah so that's why i really do believe that Again, I go back to mediation, that it does lend itself very well to this process and to this area of law. Well, you you know, in the mediation process, you have more latitude to create a space and a place for people to have those kinds of conversations. Yes. In a formal setting like the court justice system, it's very formal and structured. Yes. You got to follow the rules and the protocols and the process and timelines. Yes, and it's very expensive. It's more expensive. Yeah. Much more expensive, right? Yeah. Yeah, And much more timely, like I I find. Yeah. When you're working with people and trying to navigate them and you, you know, you get contacted, what do you try to do first? Well, I usually offer consultation um, to really uh, understand what, what my role would be. Yes. And that they also understand the limitations of the law, the legal system, the current legal system, the regime that views their animals, again, as chattels and what they're hoping to achieve. Mm -hmm. And so the consultation provides that opportunity. Um, And then it's it's also an ability for, for the potential client to, I would say, interview me and vice versa to see whether or not we can work together. Like, I think I'm a real true mediator at heart, if I may. Like, that's my passion as well. Yeah. So I don't want to necessarily work with clients that are really interested in only pursuing litigation and stuck in their position, so I can tell fairly early on. And that's okay. I'm not certainly not criticizing. It's just I may not be the right person then for them. Yeah, and I I totally hear what you're saying, to know what you're not saying. Okay, good. And to understand. (laughs) And so, you know... When people are in their positions and they have the sense that they've been wronged 
and the other person has to be uh, faulted or found as being in fault and punished in some way. I mean, that could be seen as the traditional measure of a justice system. Yeah. Adversarial positions against each other, supported by your arguments and your evidence and your yeah. witnesses. And it becomes so much more exacerbating in terms of reinforcing already the negative. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, it, there's so many costs with that. Oh, it so it's, it becomes so expensive, Greg. And what I find is that, the, I, as I said, there was, I did have a litigation department. And I found that the system itself creates an adversarial position, to occur. Yeah. It's it's the system itself that causes the parties to become even more entrenched in their in their positions. And you know as we just spoke about the for example the superior court that that route is family court um again just becomes more layers of complication more more evidence is is necessary there's a discovery process and so that whole area right that yeah. direction i found in the past moves people to become much more positional than i think they would be if they had tried to resolve their dispute in a, in a different way in a more creative fashion yeah on, on the surface i you know the court from my experience yeah. has these steps that they're trying to provide a means for people to yes. negotiate maybe agree on consent the fact is, the reality is that it actually reinforces more positional, I agree, and more adversary, yeah, more hurt feeling, yes, projection of one's hurt onto the other, yes, the, the, thus then reinforcing why I feel aggrieved in the first place and why Absolutely. I have to push back at the other person, yes, and it doesn't really, even though I, I understand its intent in some ways to find a way to collaborate, yes. it doesn't provide that as a reality. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. The, the system doesn't. You're absolutely right about that. You know, I've I've been on on cases, uh, for example, in the small claims court route, um, tending that settlement conference, the media, mandatory mediation, and yeah. unfortunately, I I can say this just through my own experience, the judge that is presiding, supposed to be a neutral, yeah, will will uh, convert back to being a judge. Yeah. They're training. Like that's again, it's not to blame them or it's just and the parties are looking to them as judges. Yeah, I, I totally understand and that. And they become even more entrenched. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I did a training for a retired Superior Court judge oh, who you did. focused on civil process for like over twenty eight years. Oh wow. And that mindset and then there was mandatory retirement. Yes. So he still wanted to be, he had a very active uh, mind. Sure. He wanted to transition to mediation, yet he was yes. finding early on in his transition of practice that he was still so positional yes. in telling parties what yes. he felt yes. should yes. be the outcome. And, you know, as a mediator, we try to provide that the space is determined and defined by the individuals who are experiencing the, yes. the matters. Yes. So, yeah, that mindset, regardless... <laughs> It takes time to shift out oh, of that yeah. mindset. Well, can you imagine being a judge exactly for for X amount of years, and then and then, you know, putting on a hat of a mediator? I mean, that's that's very difficult for them as well. Yeah, and yeah. that's why training for that kind of situation for a person is not just to give skills. It's really, from my approach, it would try to create uh, insight into concepts to unpack 
okay, we talk about being curious. What does that mean? What does that look like? What could it look like for you? Instead of just going with uh, communication skills. If one doesn't have an appreciation for why and what purpose good communication skills serve, one's not going to connect of how to incorporate that into a practice. That's right. Absolutely. I agree with you completely. With lawyers as well, you can imagine. Yeah. The lawyer, like I've had lawyers and I've, I've dealt with them. And I mean, I can tell within two minutes of a phone call whether or not that lawyer is going to um, work with me mm-hmm. and we are going to help our clients resolve their dispute. Yeah, you're using your active listening skills this, oh, thank to hear you. what's said and what's not being said to understand. I try. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I'm purposely, I'm an animal person. Oh. I've always been. I, so I can relate to your passion and your intention and interest. You know, I, I get away from these uh, framings of pets, ownership, and like you yeah. use the word guardianship to try to communicate a different kind of connection with our animal yeah. friends. Are you there? Yeah, I'm there, listening. I want to hear you. You don't want to hear me. (laughs) I know, it's a conversation. I was was enjoying listening to you, actually. Okay, I appreciate that. Yeah. So, you know... It's wonderful to hear you're an animal person. I I had that sense. Yeah. I appreciate that as well. Well, I'm currently, well, for the last seven and a half years, uh, having guardianship of my mom's cat, Chloe, because my mom passed away, and so... Chloe needed a place to go and be with. So, you know, my history is having dogs and cats. So it was just natural to transition her. That's lovely. Um, So I try to, you know, that's why I use the words in the title, too, of uh, what we're calling animal people. Yeah, I love that. I consider consider animals people, too. Yes. Uh, I really don't care what other people think. (laughs) It's really about in terms of self-determination and putting it out there and exercising one's own voice and individuality. Yes. And trying to also create positive change with systemic barriers. Yes. So you mentioned that basically small claims, civil court, and family have the same definition for our animal, four-legged friends. They're called their property. Their property, yeah. Their personal property. Yeah. So they're possessions of people. Possessions of people. So I'm sure most of you know your viewers would would be familiar with the idea that your animal is viewed the same way as your car. Yeah, your car, Which a building, really a sense. cottage, yeah, or a building. Yeah, yeah. that's right. I mean, um, one judge referred to the it was it was a pet custody ownership dispute, yeah. and he referred to the animal um, in the same manner as the the person's um knife set yeah an object yeah an object without feelings i'm going to get into that so is one of your purposes maybe not consciously to try to educate the system of how it could see our animal friends in a different light yeah absolutely um yeah you're it may it may not be conscious um it certainly is becoming conscious now I'm, i'm aware uh what I'm doing when I first started my practice, um, again, there was no one else to really ask and, and there was no real support. Um, but I feel strongly now that having the practice and giving animals a voice and kind of pushing pushing the system um, as much as I can with creative solutions 
is helping to elevate their status and, and in I th- the legal system. Yeah, and I think it helps to have people see, especially those who are guardianship of the system, the authority to make the decisions, yes. that they have a different view of their traditional mindset of seeing things. Yes. I mean, only recently under the Divorce Act that the language of getting away from custody to decision-making, from access to parenting, you know, time together, so these hard legalistic terms. So your use of the word guardian rather than ownership and trying to help the mindset of the court and the system to see that animals are more than just property. Yes. That, so what is a sentient being? Well, so a sentient being is um, is an animal that has the capacity to feel, to have experiences such as pleasure, pain, and the the knowing, the awareness mm-hmm. that animals suffer, that they have a range of emotions similar to humans. Right. And I'm really pleased to see that you had that question because it's very important that that is acknowledged and recognized in the legal system. Yes, absolutely. That an animal really yeah. has has its own individual sense of, of being. They are affected by their lived experience and they are affecting or affecting us. Yes. And so when we, in the, the system of justice that's traditionally out there, that's they're seen as property, and I would say simply that's the absence of feelings. Yes. You're trying to get uh, a new awareness and educating the system and its authorities within that there's more to this story. Yes. So it's, and without yeah. this recognition yeah. of the sentience, there really cannot be change. Right. Right? Because the, the system was created, like the justice system and the, the definition of animals and property was created a long, long time ago. Yeah. And really is not has not caught up with the times, if I may, with all the research, the scientific research that has been conducted over the years to provide for this definition of sentience and this knowledge that animals really do have a sense of perception and, and feeling and can suffer. Um, that is important and I think is is pivotal to moving the justice system forward. What do you see? And the recognition of animals as more than than personal property. So, what do you see as the current uh, obstacles or challenges when animals are defined under the label of property relative to the the bigger picture and the hope for goal of being sentient beings? The uh, the system itself is a problem. Um, because it's so limiting, it doesn't it doesn't provide for the interest of the animal to be considered. So that's the main challenge. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In the in the system that currently exists. And it works at a glacial pace of it change. Does. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it does, unfortunately. And so that's why I I propose mediation, at least for the time being. So just put that as an opportunity now. How can mediation better deal with situations involving the matters of the animal relative to the justice system? What could mediation provide that the system couldn't? 
or can't? Well, the mediation can provide for the best interest of the animal for certainty because the outcome is, is determined by the parties themselves, as you know. Right? The mediation yeah, right. is a creative process and the interests of the parties is definitely considered. And so when, with animals, I mean, animals can't speak for themselves, so they rely on us, human guardians, to speak for them. And so the the court may not provide for an animal's interest mm-hmm. in this current scheme when they're viewed as property. But that's changing. And um, I'm pleased to share with you that um, in uh, certain states, like for example, in Alaska, Illinois, California, the well-being of the animal is being considered. So as you said, like it's a, it's a snail's pace. It right. really is slow coming, but it is the companion animal, the well-being of the animal um, in the in the divorce act in certain states is being considered. Right. So that the court may provide that if an animal is owned, that the ownership or joint ownership of that animal and consideration for the well-being of the animal is taken. Right, and in that would- case. They would create a protocol. How do you yes. define ownership, per se, or guardianship of the animal? That's right. If they're, it's contested in terms of, no, that's my animal. Yeah. That's my exactly. animal. Exactly. Exactly. So, re- so at least these custody battles over animals um, now, um, because I think my, my view is, is because it's on the rise. Yeah. Because more people are, again, and I'm going to go back to this, sentient, and the view that people recognize the importance of that animals, their furry friends, their companion animals, really uh, play in their lives, and and they realize the limitations of the justice system. So, with these uh, new cases coming forward, like I've even found when I go back seven years into now, that more people are aware of even the practice itself. That oh, there's an animal rights law firm that exists, I can actually hire someone to represent me um, when I have a problem with my animal. Right. Absolutely. Giving, yeah. Which, give, which is, and it's it's the idea that more people are coming forward and are um, using the justice system. Yeah. In, in divorce proceedings, even. Yeah. We, that, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. No, I'm sorry. The, the, a growing number of courts now acknowledge that people do have a special connection and relationship with their animals, and it does set them apart from other types of property. So it seems almost like it's not acceptable, I would say, to society, mainstream views, to view their pets as property. And so that's where I think this is now being recognized. Yeah. And that's that's very positive. Well, on, I was at court on Friday, yes. and uh, we had, uh, through the judge, and that's a conference day, so people are having issues with each other, and they're oh, yeah. going for a session. So the judge, uh, the individuals were ordered to do an intake in mediation, because oh, okay. in family law, you can't order for mediation unless it's on consent of both parties, where yes. each agrees. Yes. Though the judge can order the in, in the intake so that's the first step where people the media will meet individually in a private confidential meeting to find out what's going on and see what the the intentions are or the interests of the people so the judge referred in the issue on the document from the court yes it's about the pets so it's a couple yes. and they were 
transitioning through their marriage to ultimately get divorced. And they had contested the ownership of the two pets, two dogs. Yes. So they were ordered to do the intakes, which they did do, yet they weren't ordered to do the mediation. And one party wanted to do the mediation, the joint session to have further conversation mm. in the presence with the mediator and the other person to the matter. The other person wasn't prepared to do that. Mm. You know, part of this is that on the surface, yes, it's about that. There's much more that actually in this case it represented because the individuals from another country and there's this whole story about dowry from yeah. the home country and the, use of the animals was being leveraged as a way to negotiate the dowry aspect. Mm. So there was other interests that weren't necessarily going to be negotiable. Yes. On the surface, it's about the pets in this case or the animals really. Yeah. Yeah. So I totally understand and appreciate your efforts with this. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I wanted to bring to light too about, um, the situation from last fall, there was uh, uh, there's an orangutan, and you're probably familiar with it, who was born in Germany, spent many years in Argentina, oh, yeah. and then there was a court ruling in 2015 that declared, and her name is Sandra. Oh yeah. She's declared a non-human person. Yeah. So that that gave her legal rights that were somewhat enjoyed by human beings. So, yeah, basic rights. Yeah, basic given, rights. Yeah, yeah non, she was declared a non-human being. I, I wrote a blog on that, actually. Yeah. On my website, if anyone's ever interested. Yeah, because I was really fascinated by that case. Yeah, and the whole concept of how we transition our mindset to see individuals or things, and I put quotes yeah. about around that, yeah, as a certain kind of definition. And then over time, we get a realization that actually there's more to the story. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, for Sandra, she'd been living in captivity for, I believe it was over 20 years in, in a Buenos Aires Zoo, yeah. and um, eventually she was moved um, and given, it was an unprecedented ruling, actually, so that's why it's very important, um, and she was declared a non-human being, and that declaration and granting that status gave her basic rights, including, like, life, um, some you know freedom, and I would say the the recognition that she's a sentient being. Yeah. So my purpose in bringing that to light is to yep. say, are those kinds of well case law in some way from outside of Canada? Yep. How can they influence a shift of mindset and thus decision making here within our own uh, culture of justice system? Well, the justice system, um, although it is slow moving, um, it is it does follow precedent, and it is a common law justice system, right? So we often will take uh, precedent case law from other jurisdictions when when needed. Yeah. So, for example, um, when we're dealing with um, best interests of an animal, I brought up case law from the states, like I had said to you in California, mm -hmm. the, the best interest of the animal. So so it does come into play, and, it, and I think it, it certainly will have rippling effects in the future Yeah, for animals in Canada. Yeah. I mean, you know, individuals such as yourself and, and me and 
my yeah. own little world. That Absolutely. would be well, the, doing that, the show is, is yeah. providing it. And that's why I was so excited to speak with you this evening because this is important. Yeah. And I see these as opportunities for, for us to better inform and educate the broader community. Yes. And even those in the professional world of conflict resolution as a, okay, there's these things that are happening. We may not be aware of them, yet they are realities of our lived experiences, whether directly or not. Yes. And we have a role to play and a responsibility in some form to contribute to creating for positive change. We do. We do. And we can. We can. And even this conversation tonight and and uh, people taking the time to listen to this and, and really care about um, giving animals uh, a voice um, is going to change the justice system in the long term, I believe. And I believe that this area is, is only going to expand into the future. Yeah, and I, I think it would give people, too, individuals oh, yeah. who have that connection with animals, yes. a greater space and opportunity to get the realization for the relationship that they have and the bond that's established amongst them. Yes. That, uh, you know, I'm not going to just arbitrarily lose out. I, I can have a, a means to express and, and show what this, the value of this animal yep. is. Yeah, I mean, in, in the past, and I, I, you know, I didn't experience this personally. Um, I did hear from other uh, lawyers um, that didn't necessarily have an animal rights practice, but of course, were there were lawyers in the past that were trying to help um, pet parents, if I may, you know, owners mm -hmm. deal with their disputes and would get laughed out of court. That doesn't really happen as much anymore, and I think that's that's where the growing awareness and even this conversation that we're having and the viewers that are interested really helps raise the status of animals in society and in the justice system. Yeah, and I, I just encourage people, when they have some idea, some interest, and they have an intention, that they go with that intention. Yeah. Walk your path. Yep. You know, don't live your decision-making based on someone else and what they do or do not want to impose on us. Yep. I would agree with that. So I, I just have a brief story. My background is community mediation. Oh, And in that world, uh, there was a, a matter, a conflict that we were facilitating, co-mediators. And uh, it was about a neighbor situation. On one side was uh, an elderly couple. On the other side was a, uh, a woman mm -hmm. with a child or a, their, their child who was actually about 20, 22 years of age though they had um, a challenge with their mental capacity. So the neighbor, the, this, the conflict was about, there was a dog next door with the older couple. And the, the, the child on the one side would constantly get excited and want to see the animal all the time. Oh. And so it caused this tension amongst the two of them. So they ended up coming to a process and to try to facilitate. So at the beginning of the process, the woman who had the uh, the dog with her husband, she asked if she could put a picture of the animal in question on the table in the process. Oh, interesting. And we did. Oh, and that was helpful yes. in trying to yes. get people to see a reality. Oh, okay, that. we're talking esoterically in many yes. ways. Yes. Let's put a reality. There's yeah. We can see a photo of the person, Yeah. in this sense, the animal yeah. that we're yeah. talking about. That's right. So... 
I just think we got to be creative with our approaches. Yes, we have to be. We have to be. And, and again, that's why I'm always going back to the idea that mediation really is an ideal uh, dispute resolution process for animal law and lends itself to providing parties with an opportunity to think outside the box. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Because the system is <laughs> can be quite rigid and limiting. Yeah, and it expects you to adapt to it, where yes. ideally the way I would look and I think I feel from you is that you feel the system needs to adapt to the people. Oh, absolutely, to, to, to mainstream society's views. And, I mean, I've met so many people over the years that view their 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 companion animal as, as you said, like a child and really can't wrap their mind around the judicial system's view, and when I bring up judicial decisions and I give them a reality check, because I have to, unfortunately, and I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. Sometimes they're upset and even angry at me, and that's okay. I've I've learned to accept that. Um, it used to be really hard in the beginning mm-hmm. because I was just new to the whole um, process, right, of, yeah. of trying to come up with ideas that were not available in the justice system, um, and that would cause um, some frustration um, for the parties, but it, it was it was always the better route. And I think what we try to do, in difficult moments especially, is to create a connection. I think empathy yeah, is the way yeah. to, you know, create that bridge and connection amongst us. Yes. So we have to say goodnight, and thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much. I really enjoyed that. You were wonderful to speak with, and I appreciate that you brought this topic to light. It's so important, and you're giving animals a voice. Whatever way I can. Oh, thank you. I look forward to possibly, you know, coming back in another sure. conversation. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd okay. love to. Thanks very much thank for Thank you tonight. very much. Right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Mediation Station on CHHA 1610 AM.